church means a lot to Mike Johnson. And I'll, I'll say this, Mike Johnson, you mean a lot to this church and your family does. And Mike has become, I, we've never had a chance to work together or be around each other a lot, but he's become a friend to me. He's become a, an encourager to me, and I'm thankful for our friendship. And uh, as, as I heard circumstances, and you can share however you want to share there, Mike, that Mike was going to be in the area this weekend. I called him and said, Mike, I don't know if you would want to do this. Uh, with just everything going on, but we would love to have you come and, and bring the message Sunday. Here's what he told me. He said, there's 300 churches that could have called me in Florida, and I would have said no. He said, but First Baptist Geneva is a special place, and uh, he said I'd be honored to. So, Mike, I'm glad that you, you, you would do that. I'm glad you would come and, and bring, the, bring the word for us this morning, and uh, Come, come on, t share a little bit about your family, share what's going on. Let's hear about the Johnsons, and uh, God bless you, man. Um, I don't know about filet mignon, but <laughs> thank you, brother. I appreciate that introduction. If you have your Bibles, why don't you grab them and turn in them to Habakkuk or Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it, just... Even if you have to use the, the table of contents. And while you're doing that, I'll, I'll introduce myself and, uh, and, and, and tell you why I'm super thankful that uh, Pastor Conrad reached out and asked me to preach this morning. Um, but the text will be Habakkuk, I'm going to say Habakkuk, uh, 3, 17 through 19. So I actually got my start in ministry, actually in my Christian life in this church. Uh, that's the biggest reason why it's so special to me, my family. Uh, you know, they're from Geneva, and, uh, and this was the church uh, that we've, we were always a part of. Um, and I, I came to the Lord through the faithful ministry of First Baptist of Geneva. Uh, the church sent me out as a missionary to Russia, to Siberia, uh, where I served for, uh, for, for many years. Um, when I came back from Russia and was unable to return because of visa issues, uh, you know, the laws changed over there, and it got really hard to be a missionary there. Um, the church invited me to become their associate pastor, and so I did that for five years here. Um, and, and then, uh, through the Lord's leading, um, and, and it's really the place where I, if my preaching's bad this morning, it's, 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 it's not my fault. I, I learned how to preach here. <laughs> Just kidding. I did, I did get my start in preaching in this church, and, and God has used it tremendously in my life. I've learned so much through, through faithful brothers and sisters in Christ here. Uh, somebody mentioned, G, Greg mentioned GMC this morning. That was such a, such a, such a wonderful part of my uh, faith in growing in Christ uh, after I returned from the mission field. So, uh, so, so yeah, I, this is a very special place. I was only able to take uh, my lovely daughter, Nadia, who's here today and who probably won't forgive me for many weeks for mentioning her name. <laughs> but she came with me. My, the rest of my family weren't able to come. Uh, and the reason I, I came was because my, my grandmother, who was actually a, a, a legacy member here a long, long time ago, uh, she passed away last week, and so I came down to do the funeral uh, for her, which was yesterday. And so, um, and I was delighted. I was delighted uh, to be invited to come here and and preach. And really, for for several reasons, but I, I can name three. Uh, one is what I just mentioned: the very special place that the church has, has played in my life, and 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 how God has used First Baptist Geneva to grow me in the faith as a believer. And uh, and just the faithfulness that continues. 
Um, uh, the second reason is for all the people that I know. I, I, I just love, uh, I'm not a huggy guy. I, if you know me very well, I'm not, I, I hug more like uh, in this church than anywhere else. <laughs> so I, I loved seeing all of you and it was just a, a joy. And then the third reason I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to be here is all the people I don't know. And because that, to me that speaks to the, faithful, the ongoing faithfulness of this church. As it, as, it, as it continues to preach the gospel faithfully, uh, reaches out into the community, and th- there are a lot of you who have no idea who is up here this morning, and I, I think that's good. I think that's good. And, uh, and it, you know, the only thing better would have been to come and, 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 uh, and sit under your preaching, Pastor Conrad. I would have loved that this morning, too, and that was my original plan, but uh, I'll, happy to bring the word, too. So, all right, so let's, uh, let's go to Habakkuk. The Word of God. So the text again is, is chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. A well-known, well-loved passage. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the, yields, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. And he makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray again. So, Father, we know and believe that nothing happens spiritually apart from the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom in our hearts this morning and that we would put aside whatever it is that is distracting us and we would think, what what do you want to say to our souls this morning from your word? How do you want to speak through your word? So I pray, Father, that the Spirit would give us ears to hear, that you'd move here. I, I know I don't have the power in myself to encourage, but you do. And so, Father, I pray that your word would just speak to the relevant needs in this room, and we would be encouraged in a very specific way, that we would be encouraged to turn to Christ, to trust in Christ, to trust Christ with our suffering, to trust Christ with our lives, to trust Christ with our salvation. Lord, I pray that the gospel would be clear. Help me, Lord. I know I'm unworthy to open your word. I don't stand on my own worthiness. I stand on the worthiness of Christ and the authority of the scriptures. And so, Father, I pray that you'd help me to faithfully unpack your word for your people, for their edification and their joy, and for your glory. And thank you for this beloved church. Lord, I I praise you for how you continue to work here. I praise you for all the faithfulness that's represented here in these pews. I thank you for the preaching week in and week out that is thoroughly from your word and faithful. Lord, move here this morning for your name's sake, for our good and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that's a lovely passage, right, that I just read. Isn't that a lovely passage? So encouraging. I love this passage. But I think it's even a lovelier passage when we consider the context in which it was written, like how it was written. And, and you know, if I, if I was to really press into this, I'd probably take a long time to preach through Habakkuk, the whole book to you. And I can't do that. I have one Sunday. 
so let me try to describe it like this. I, I, I love that I'm preaching in the South because you'll get this. Um, the book of Habakkuk would make a fantastic country music song. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? It, it, it has everything. And I hope some songwriter out there is listening to me. This could be your next big thing. Habakkuk. It has all the ingredients of a great country music song. It has lament. It talks about things gone wrong. Horribly wrong. Things lost. Unfortunately, it doesn't have any pickup trucks, but it has everything else. <laughs> Let's walk through the meat of this song, shall we? The meat of the song, just like an overview of the, the Habakkuk so that our message today will make sense within its context. Okay, so this is a great song. I'm going to describe it like a song. The first stanza is Habakkuk's troubled observation that there is, unjust, there is injustice and unchecked sin among the people of God. And God does not seem to be doing anything about it. That's his lament. There's, there's sin among the people of God, and God, you're not doing anything. That's the first stanza. He laments the sin around him, and God's in action, and he cries out, How long, O Lord? That's the note on which this song, Habakkuk, begins. How long, O Lord? It ends on a completely different note, and that's where we're going today, but this is where it begins. And I, I think we can relate to what Habakkuk is feeling. I mean, can you? Do, you? do you sometimes look around at the circumstances in your life or even the world and you wonder, how long, O oh Lord? How long? What are you doing, God? Why don't you act? That's the first stanza of this song. The second stanza is God's answer. You can find that if you were to go back and study it, Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11. And God is indeed acting, and Habakkuk simply is unaware of God's designs and his plans and his providence. But God tells him. God, God shares that with him. God is acting in his providence. And you know what he's doing? He's, he's raising up a people who are wicked and evil, and they will become mighty, and, they, and then they will serve as a, a means or an instrument of God's justice against the people of God. And that's mind-blowing if you think of it. That's, that's mind-blowing if you think of it. The wicked and evil people, they're, the, they're called the Chaldeans, they're the Babylonians, as we would know them. And God, according to Habakkuk 1.6, if you want to go back and look at that sometime, is the one raising them up. God is behind this. That means that God is behind Babylon becoming a mighty nation. He's, be, he's behind their like, economy thriving, and their military growing strong, and their emerging... like. Ability to conquer other nations. God, in a sense, is blessing the Chaldeans, but not because they are good or because they love God. They, they don't love God. They have no regard for God. Rather, he is doing it because God has willed to use them this way in his providence. And there are so many implications to that. We're so tuned to see good things happening to us and, and bad things happening to us as always tethered to what we deserve. If, if we prosper, we think that that means that we're being good. And if we suffer, we think, man, what, what have I done wrong, right? Yeah. Yet God's blessing doesn't necessarily reflect a nation's goodness or a person's righteousness. In the providence of God, for God's purposes, sometimes the wicked prosper. It's a theme we see in the Bible. Sometimes wicked nations grow strong. And often, and hear me on this, friends, the righteous suffer. Amen. We can see that all through the book of Habakkuk. 
And that was shocking to this prophet. And that's why in the third stanza, which is Habakkuk 1, verse 12 through 2-1, Habakkuk voices his shock and confusion at God's answer. How, how could God allow a country like Babylon to scourge a people like Judah? God was raising up a wicked people to serve as judgment for a people who are less wicked. And that made no sense to Habakkuk, and so he voices his lament and his question, his puzzlement. The next stanza, Habakkuk 2, 2 through 5, helps us to make sense of it all. God responds that the righteous live by faith. That is, we do not always see God's plan. We do not always understand his purposes. We do not always get his way forward for our lives. We don't always know why he's working in the way that he's working. But we trust. We have faith. We trust in his goodness. We trust in his character. We trust in his providence. All who are righteous trust in God. The just live by faith. That's so helpful when we don't get what God is doing. We can't fully grasp the ways of God. We aren't capable of grasping that. I don't know if you've, you've caught that. You're not capable of grasping the ways of God. And you know why? I'm, you don't have to be a theologian to know this. It's because he is God. Amen. And we are not. And you might be feeling that right now. You, you might have no idea why God is doing this or that in your life right now. You, you might not know. You might wonder. You might question, why is God allowing this thing to happen in my life? What is he up to? And you might not have any idea, and you're not called necessarily to understand. You are called to trust. Those who have been redeemed by Christ, those who are justified by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, live by faith. They live by faith in him and not by sight. That's stanza four. Stanza five, Spackic 2, 6 through 20 in this song, is God's judgment on Babylon. God's judgment is perfect. His justice is without, it's, it's complete. No one escapes God's justice. The Babylonians would face judgment for their sin. Yes, it is God who is using them. They are part of his providence and his plan. And for a season, they will have nothing but good things, a good and thriving economy, and a powerful military. All the reasons a nation could be proud, they will have. But God will judge them for their sin. The Babylonians are actors in God's plan, for sure. But they are responsible actors who will give an account before a holy God for the way they have behaved. And the reason they will be judged is because their confidence is not in God, it's in idols. They do not trust in the living and personal God who is in the temple. They trust in their own power. They trust in their leader. And, you know, just relate with this, right? They trust in their bank accounts. They trust in their doctors. They trust in their, in their wits and their strength. Not in God. And because of that, God will judge them. Stanza 6. That's the final stanza in this song. It's chapter 3, and that's where the, the chords change. You know, maybe up until this point, they're in these melancholy minors. You know what I mean? And here it turns to happy major chords. Chapter 3 is Habakkuk's response. The broken-hearted prophet in chapters 1 and 2 smiles with joy and with faith in chapter 3. And Habakkuk sings of his hope and his joy in God. The crescendo of it all is verses 17 through 19. This is the end of the process for Habakkuk, the process we all go through, a lot of us do anyway, most of us do. 
the process of this short little book. This book begins with, How long, O Lord? And it ends with, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So this is a book that, that wrestles with the brokenness of our world, man's sinfulness, God's providence, and our responsibility to trust in him, and God's sure just, justice and judgment over sin, and our confidence, even our joy in the God of our salvation, a, a joy that is untethered from the temporary circumstances of life. Oh, what a helpful and needed message Habakkuk is for our day. This is the song of our age, or at least it is a song we should be singing. The song we need to sing when we feel the brokenness around us. The song we need stuck in our brains. You know what I mean? Like a song that's stuck in your brains. You know, forever I was saying around my house, no one, no one talks about Bruno. You know, <laughs> just one of those kind of songs that just doesn't leave. We need that. We need this one repeating itself as things do not go the way that we believe that they should. This is a song I'm aiming to help you sing this morning. As we dig into the book of, or this, 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 this little passage, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. And I, I want you to sing this for your unshakable joy and confidence and hope in Him. It seems plain to me that the message of Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 has two parts to it. He goes from though, in verse 17, to yet, in verse 18. Those are the two parts, the though and the yet. So let's just think about the though, which is Habakkuk's looming circumstances, and then we'll move from there to the yet, which is Habakkuk's joy in God in spite of those contrary circumstances. So before we really dig into that, though, look at in, in verse 17. I, I just want you to note that it begins with the word though and not if. That's significant. It doesn't say if the fig tree should not blossom or if the flock be cut off from the field. It says though, and some of the older translations, if kind of meant though. Though the fig tree should not blossom. And the reason why I think that is significant is because for Habakkuk, the things he's describing in verse 17, they're a certainty. He is not just theoretical or hypothetical. This isn't just like him like doing theology and thinking it through in his high tower. This is real life. This is reality that's about to happen for him. And I, I don't know what it is for you right now. Maybe it's an if or maybe it's a though. You, you might not have much suffering in your life right now. It's an if for you. But you still need this so that you might build a strong and sustaining suffer, uh, theology of suffering so that you will have faith and joy when things get hard. So that you read this and apply this and say, if I lose everything, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. If I lose my job, if I get cancer. Or maybe you're right here in the thick of it with Habakkuk, and for you it is absolutely a though. You know what I mean? Maybe this is the reality for you right now. For Habakkuk, this is not hypothetical. This was reality. God made it clear that an invasion was happening. The, ba the Babylonians are on their way. And they will sack Judah. And that's what verse 17 describes and what happens in war. These are the things that Habakkuk would suffer in short order. It's especially a powerful sentiment because of the word though. My friends, in this world you will have tribulation. There is a sense in which it's actually though for all of us. 
We will suffer. Maybe you don't know what that looks like for your life right now. Maybe you already do. In either case, this is clearly a song for us all. The imagery in verse 17 might be a little hard to relate with. Especially the first three things he mentions. Figs, grapes, and olives. They all have to do with items of comfort. You don't need figs to survive. I've managed 30 or 48 years without figs. I'm doing just fine. You can live a happy life without wine. And you might not even like olives on your pizza. I don't know. These are luxuries. And Habakkuk knows that soon the luxury items will be impossible to come by. The fig tree isn't going to blossom because they don't do well when armies are marching over them and ransacking them and burning them and cutting them down. The vine won't yield fruit because there won't be people to tend them. The olive crop will fail. I don't know if you've watched the old Hobbit movies now. They're kind of a classic already, aren't they? Um, but there's a scene in the beginning of the journey, of the, after they're all on their ponies. Do you remember this? Bilbo comes running after them, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go with you. Remember that? They put him on a pony, which he doesn't like. Uh, and he, I, picture this. They, so the, 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 whole, the whole group moves on, right? Like they're on to their adventure, and Bilbo sneezes. You remember this? And he says, stop, everybody stop, stop. I forgot my handkerchief. You remember this? It's the perfect line. It's the perfect line. And someone says to him, this, this is great. It says, you know, Bilbo, you will have to do without pocket handkerchiefs and a great many other things before we reach our journey's end. It's a perfect line. If we live in comfort long enough, we come to think that we are owed comfort. That's right. And we come to think that we could hardly live without it. If you take my comfort away, I will have a hard time. And, and, and what is more, much of my joy and happiness can be wrapped around my comfort or tethered to my comfort. And, 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 and that's just reality for a prosperous people. My joy can be tethered to my comforts. And if God takes them away, then bam, there goes my joy. So that's where Habakkuk begins. Figs, grapes, and olives. But he goes beyond those things doesn't he? The fields yielding no food means no bread and no vegetables. The flock being cut off from the fold means no meat. And no herd in the stalls means no milk, no comfort, and outright famine. That's what Habakkuk is expecting. There will be suffering. No comforts and even a lack of sustenance. And of course, you know, that's common in war. All those things are common in war. And by the way, one of the ways, I hope you are praying for uh, Ukraine. I hope you're especially praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine. The church is really suffering. My wife had an opportunity to go to the Polish border right after the war broke out. Uh, we speak Russian, and so she went there to help uh, with refugees pouring over. And it's only gotten worse since then. Uh, there's lots of things happening in that war. One of the things happening is that they are facing what, what's called a black winter, where they don't have heat and they don't have... And it's cold in Ukraine. It's very cold in Ukraine. And there are going to be suffering. And there's a church there, a thriving church. One of the most like, uh, fruitful churches in Eastern Europe is the Church of Ukraine. And they're about to go through some incredible suffering. So I hope you are praying for them as winter sets on. But one of the things, we, 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 know, we know that war means great suffering and death. It usually means famine. So pray for them. Pray for heat and sustenance. Worst cause famine. And Habakkuk knows that hunger is ahead for him and for his friends and his family. This is a real blow to prosperity 
gospel that lie that people promulgate that, 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 that if you have faith in God, you will not suffer, that the people of God will never go through hardship or, or lack anything. We're not called to have an easy life, a bed of ease. There is real and acute suffering on the horizon. You might not do figs or olive or mutton. Any fans of mutton here? <laughs> but you can fill in the blanks of what your comforts and what your needs are as you sing Habakkuk's song. Here's the point. If Habakkuk tethers his joy and his happiness to personal comforts and luxuries, then his joy is about to get a beatdown. And further, if Habakkuk ties his happiness and joy even to having the things that he considers his legitimate needs, his joy is about to get smacked. And that's not different for us. If our joy is tethered to our jobs or our houses or our stuff or our hobbies or our friends or making that team or getting that loan or whatever thing working out, then our joy is tethered to things that can go away or be destroyed. If our happiness is tethered to our legitimate needs, like having a way to pay your bills or providing for your family or enjoying good health or being safe, then our happiness is still tethered to temporary things that that can, and this might be, seem totally unrealistic to you, but often do go away. That's the point Habakkuk, where Habakkuk is at. He has evaluated his situation. He has thoughtfully considered his lot, and he is making it clear that he simply will not tether his joy to temporary circumstances. So what does he tether it to? That's where he goes in verses 18 and 19, and we're moving from the though to the yet. Though I lose everything, yet, and let's, let's read it again. Verses 18 through 19 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. You know, I keep using this word tether. I'm using it on purpose because I'm trying to build an image for you. I once spent a summer working on swing stages. Do you know what those are? A swing stage on a building? Um, it's a scaffolding or platform that is um, on the side of a building. You know, you see people like washing windows on skyscrapers and those kind of things. Those are swing stages. Um, we were there power washing the outside of a building all summer long. Um, it's the thing that here, here's, it's, it's the thing that always falls down in a good action movie, right? <laughs> But not all at once. One side falls down and a guy dramatically hangs from it for a while before whatever, you know, happens. A swing stage has ropes to the top of the building and cranks or motors to make it go up and down. And working on those things takes a bit of getting used to. When you first climb onto one of those things you go and go a few stories up, just a few stories up, it is scary. Even if you're not afraid of heights, you're afraid of heights when you get on one of those things. I wore a harness... And my harness was tethered to ropes that were attached to the building. Okay? Theoretically, even if the stage gave way, I would not fall. Right? I'd, I'd, be, I'd, I'd dangle, whatever, but I would not fall to the ground because I was tethered to what was secure. And you could always tell who the new guys were, right? Like I worked all summer long. And we had some changing in our crew. The new guys would always hug the building, right? Like, you know, you ask them to do something, and instead of reaching, they're like, you know, they don't feel secure. They feel afraid. And then you're there for a few weeks and you're like hanging out by your tether trying to, you know, grab things way off. This probably, you know, OSHA not friendly kind of stuff, you know. 
So you could tell. You grew comfortable with your equipment. You grew comfortable with your tether. Uh, at the end of the day, this is a thing that's probably changed since then. This is um, 90s. But um, we, if you were closer to the top, we, would, we, we could just leave our swing stage at the top of the building. It was easier than going down. We were hand cranked people, you know. So if we were at near the top at the end of the day, we would, we would just go to the very top. And I really disliked going over the top. And you know why? There came a point, again, OSHA would, it's, this is most likely changed. OSHA would, would, would die if they heard this. But uh, we would have to untether for a moment because it would actually restrict us from going over the top of the building. So there was a moment when if I had let go, I would fall to my death. And that was a... You know, I got so comfortable on that swing stage, but the moment I untethered, my fear of heights, boom, alive and well. And here's the point. I was secure when I was tethered to something that was secure. When, I was, when my tether was hooked onto the building, I felt fine. But when I disconnected it, or if, if, you know, if I did some silly thing like connecting it to the stage or something else, or one of the guys on the crew, I wouldn't feel secure. If they fell, we'd just all fall, right? One happy family falling. So I tethered to the building, and that made me safe, as it were. Habakkuk is showing us what hope and joy is tethered to or should be tethered to. And he refuses to allow it to be tethered to what can fall. He tethers his joy to God. Specifically, the God of his salvation. And I love that. I, I love how he says that. He knows where true life comes from. It comes from God. And this side of Calvary, this was written before Christ came, but this side of Calvary, we know even more clearly what the God of our salvation means. It means that God has saved us through the work of a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' perfect life and His sacrificial death on the cross and His triumph over the grave and the resurrection, that's what the God of our salvation means means that God has provided a means by which we are saved. We trust in Christ and his work for us. We know that we cannot save ourselves. We, we, We know that we cannot trust in our goodness or our religious virtue. I mean, we're not that good. We're not. We're not that virtuous. We are sinners. So we look to Jesus and Jesus alone and Jesus saves us completely. His work is sufficient to make us right before a holy God. His righteousness is enough to make a sinner righteous. So Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And all who trust in him can say the God of my salvation. This is whom we tether to. We tether to Christ. There are two really clear options for Habakkuk. And in his mind, one must be way more secure than others. He could tether his happiness to his circumstances going his way. Or he could tether his happiness to God. He goes with the latter because he knows that circumstances fail and God is secure. He brings true and lasting joy. Indeed, transcendent, everlasting joy. I love the imagery at the end of verse 19. As an avid deer observer, I've done a lot of observing this fall of deer. I, I know how steady and sure-footed a deer is. It's not very common to see like a deer trip. 
I don't think, aside from helping them trip, I've never seen a deer. Have you seen a deer trip? They're pretty sure-footed, deer are. I've seen them run up a, a steep hill and do so with grace. And Habakkuk uses that picture to show the benefit of trusting in God. He makes my feet like the deer's. In other words, I don't stumble. And that makes me tread on high places, sure-footed and quick. God sustains me. That's what he means. God is my sustainer. Those are the two big reasons Habakkuk is trusting in God and not in his circumstances. Because God redeems him, right? That's what he means by the God of my salvation. God redeems him and God sustains him. I think that's what he means by he makes my feet like the deer's. And makes me tread on high places. God is my sustainer. And those are two really good reasons for you to trust in God in your circumstances today. He is the redeemer and the sustainer. When the rug gets pulled out from under your life in some way, do what Habakkuk has so thoughtfully done. To stoke your faith and even your joy, ponder these two massive realities. When the rug gets pulled out and you should stop and meditate on the God of your salvation. Consider that God has redeemed you by the blood of Christ. Friends, run to Jesus with your anxiety. Run to Christ with those worries. In the moment when you feel like all is lost, remember that Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and had His saving eye on you as He died. He is the God of your salvation. That is a reality that is so much bigger than anything you could face. If you, if you are in him, are secure forever because of Jesus alone. You have a standing with God that never changes. He is your sustainer. Isn't that good? I mean, isn't that encouraging? He is our sustainer. By faith, Habakkuk looked away from his circumstances. There's these circumstances here, well described, even in these verses. He looks away from them, these those in his life, to God. To his Redeemer, to his Sustainer, and that is what we we must do by faith. Look at the very last part of verse 19. This is the part that we often just read in passing without a thought. It's called a subscript. Do you see that? We, We don't usually pay attention to subscripts, but note two things briefly with me. One you can see, and one you might not be able to, depending on your translation. The one you can see is that this is obviously a song. Habakkuk is sending this to the choir master. What do you, what do you send to choir masters? <laughs> it's a song. And it says literally with a stringed instrument. So this is a song. It is meant to be sung. And that's why I went with a song theme running through my... This is a song. And it's meant to be sung. Now the one your translation might not show is that in Hebrew it literally says, and I think in all the texts that we have available in Hebrew... With my, I don't know why no English translation really carries that through that I could find. With my stringed instruments. You might have a footnote that says my. You, maybe I'm overthinking this a bit. I could be, you know, probably am, I don't know. But I think Habakkuk has such confidence in this song and the helpfulness and the, and the need for this song to be sung by the people of God through the ages that he says, send this to the choir master I want this to be sung, and you can even use my guitar. This is a personal song. Use my own guitar to sing it. That's the confidence he has in this song. 
Friends, you need to sing this song to your soul today. This is a song to be sung by the people of God. This is the song we need in difficult holiday seasons when we have so many things facing us. So many things that, you know, this ought to be the most joyful time, and I just know that it is, it is often not. This is the song we need to sing when our house is flooded and when hurricanes come. I want you to ask yourselves, friends, I've been asking myself this. Is my happiness tethered to my circumstances that seem stable at the moment, but could grow wings and fly away? Could I be happy and joyful even, even if those things left? What if your comforts fly away? What if you lacked even what you consider to be your legitimate needs, like your good health? Could you be happy without that? Friends, let's tether our hope and faith and joy to Jesus, not to temporary things. Let's sing by faith Habakkuk's song. Jesus is the Savior who has redeemed us by his blood, and God, through Jesus, sustains us forever. He makes your feet like the deer's. No one can take you from him. No one can make you stumble as you tether to him. No one can make you fall. Sing this song to your soul until it sings. And sing this to those around you who are suffering. As we close, I just want to read the Apostle Paul's remake of Habakkuk's song. Okay? This is, you know, like this is his update Listen to it and maybe let the notes penetrate your heart and tether your joy and your happiness to the God who redeems you and sustains you and not to temporary things. So this is from Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our song. Let us sing it with joy. Father, I pray. I pray especially a word to those who are suffering this morning, whose health is failing, who's struggling with family, all of those things. And I know in the room this size, there are plenty of people here going through hard things in life. Lord, we pray, we pray that this would become their song, that they would see you not only as the providential God who brings all things about for our good, but as our sustainer and as our redeemer. And Lord, I pray for those who might have come here this morning not even knowing, not knowing that you have come to redeem us. Oh Lord, may you help them understand the truth of the gospel today so that they might leave here with the hope and joy of believing in the God of their salvation. Trusting you, believing. Would you do that work for your glory? And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.